Good morning. Excited to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, I love getting to sing Christmas songs with you all, and I'm excited to get to start our Advent series uh, this year. Um, I, I wonder how Christmas music works. Uh, at the Kaufman household, we have some very strict rules in place for Christmas music. And so there is no Christmas music played before Thanksgiving and no Christmas music played after December 25th. Anytime after Thanksgiving dinner and December 25th is fair game. Uh, but you try playing Joy to the World outside of those parameters and you risk getting called a heretic in our house. Inside, there's pretty much all you'll hear at our house is Christmas music in the background. And I would guess that's uh, probably the case for many of you as well. Christmas music is, is a little bit more fun this year, though, because my son Oliver is uh, at the stage where anytime music comes on, he likes to dance. And so he can just be kind of doing his thing in the background. Uh, and you put some music on on our speaker, and he will drop what he's doing, throw his, and just start banging his head back and forth, uh, which I'm pretty sure he got from me because that's about the only dance move I know as well. Uh, Christmas music is, I think, awesome. I love listening to it. A and I think it's interesting that Christmas is maybe, I think, the only holiday we have with its own genre of music. That, that you know it's Christmas by the soundtracks that start to play in your car at the stores that you shop at. And it's also interesting to me that when we look in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we find, which is the most detailed account of Jesus' birth, we find four songs. The song of Mary, the song of Zechariah, the song of the angels, and then the song of Simeon. And so it seems like even from the start, the most natural response to what happened at Christmas, song, and to have music. And so actually over the next couple weeks, we're gonna spend time looking at the first two of those songs. For the next three weeks, we'll look at Mary's song, which is found in Luke 1, 46 through 55. You can turn there if you want. That's where we'll be this morning. And then the final Sunday in December, uh, Brandon's actually going to spend some time looking at Zachariah's song with us. I've titled today's sermon, which we're just going to look at the first four verses of Mary's song, Why, Why Me? There, there are lots of things that we may ask that question to or feel that way, or think that way. Why me? But I think there's really two ways we can ask, think, or feel, why me? First of all, we, we can mean it, uh, we, we can grumble it as a complaint. Why me? Are you serious? Why is this happening to me? When difficult things happen in our lives, when life doesn't go according to plan, when it seems like we're being singled out for misfortune or misery, we tend to ask, why me? Why is this happening to me? Nothing does that quite uh, like it for me, like a parking ticket. I used to live in Lancaster City, and so I accumulated a few parking tickets. And every time I would come out to that parking ticket, I would think, why me? Why'd you have to get me this time? Even if I was parked illegally, why'd you have to give me a ticket? And I remember one time especially sticking out in my mind. Uh, it was a morning where I woke up, went out to my car, was up early, had to get to work, and my car wouldn't start. 
I had a Volkswagen GTI at the time. It was giving me all sorts of problems. Wouldn't start, but I had to get into work, and so I didn't have time to move it, get it towed. I was like, I'll have to do that at the end of the day. But I remembered, it's street cleaning today, which means cars can't be parked along our street. So I took the time to handwrite a note explaining uh, my car didn't start this morning. I wasn't able to move it. Uh, I'm going to move it this evening. I'm going to get it towed. Uh, please don't give me a ticket. Go to work, not work, come home at the end of the day, and behold, right there on my windshield is a parking ticket. And to add in right next to or even on top of the note that I'd written. Like, why me? Why me? But we can also ask that question in wonder, thinking, why would I get this? Why would this happen to me? This is incredible. There are moments where I sit at home with my wife and my child, and everything just seems good. And I just have to sit back and, why me? Why do I get to enjoy this? Why do I get to enjoy this? When I, when I get an email from Chick-fil-A telling me, you've got a free sandwich waiting for you at Chick-fil-A, I think, why me? What did I do to deserve this? When I'm at Costco and a prime parking spot opens up right near the front, right in front of me, why me? What did I do to deserve this? There are all sorts of things in our life that would make us ask that question, either grumbling and complaining or in wonder and amazement. Why me? And the big idea that I want to communicate this morning, looking at the first four verses of Mary's song, is that Christmas should make us sing with wonder. Why me? Christmas should make us sing with wonder. Why me? Let's read uh, Mary's song. I'm actually going to read the whole thing each morning for the next three weeks. I'm going to be reading from the ESV uh, next week. You'll hear it from the NLT, so you'll get a couple different translations of it in the next couple weeks. Starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray. Father God, you have spoken to us through your words. Long ago, many times, many ways, you spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But now you've spoken to us through your son. The one who is in glory, who's the exact imprint of your nature, who upholds the universe by the word of his power. The reason that we sit here this morning is because Jesus is upholding us and the entire universe. And God, you continue to speak through him. You continue to speak through your word. And so I pray that you would this morning. I pray that your spirit would move 
And I pray that we'd be able to worship our way 30 minutes. Worship our way through looking at this song where Mary worshiped you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at the first four verses of Mary's song, I want us to think about Mary for a second. I want us to get into kind of her shoes, get into her context, and remember a couple things about her. Because Mary had good reasons to complain, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why am I being singled out? Let's remember what we might know about Mary. Mary's a 12 to 14-year-old girl. So I'm just going to refer to her from now on as a 13-year-old girl, kind of meet in the middle. We know that because she is betrothed or legally engaged to be married to Joseph. And at this time, most girls would be married by the age. Part of that was so that the father could ensure that she's still a virgin. And so during this, what would have been a year-long engagement to Joseph, an angel appears to Mary and tells her, Mary, you're going to get pregnant. And it's going to happen through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Mary is going to get pregnant before she's married. Scandal. Not going to be the father. Scandal times two. Mary's plans for her life just got completely interrupted. Like her her dreams of, I'm going to marry Joseph, uh, I'm going to have children with Joseph, we're going to live kind of the Nazareth dream, whatever that is, just completely got thrown into the air. And, And we know that because from Matthew's account, Joseph is planning on divorcing her until an angel intervenes and tells Joseph what's happened. Mary, my plans get interrupted, I tend to complain. I don't know about you, but that's how I respond. Not only that, but Mary's life just got a whole lot more difficult with that angel's announcement. Mary's going to have to have some really difficult conversations. Have you ever thought about this before? That Mary's going to have to go to her parents. Mom, Dad, I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. And Joseph isn't the father. But, but don't worry, an angel appeared to me and it's the Holy Spirit who miraculously made this happen. How many parents do you know are taking that news in stride from their 13-year-old daughter? None. Joseph, Joseph, uh, I, I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. You're not the father, but, but I didn't cheat on you. How many fiancés are taking that news well? And even if parents and Joseph, she's still got the whole town around her. She's the town scandal. People are going to talk. People are going to whisper. People are going to look at her. Mary's character as a woman and a wife is forever going to be doubted and questioned after this. So Mary had good reasons to complain and grumble. Why me? Why is this happening to me? But Mary sings with wonder and amazement. Why? You see this even in the first two verses of her song. 46 and 47. It says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's this idea of she has this joy, this excitement, this passion in her that she's got to let out. She has to speak about what God has done for her. She has to rejoice. She, She has to tell people, look at what God has done. Look at how great he is. It's, it's sort of like the you taste some incredible piece of food 
or you watch some amazing movie, or you see an awesome sunset, you think, I have to tell someone about this. I've got, I've got to let it out. I've got to let people know what I've seen, what I've tasted. And, and that's what's happening with Mary in this song. I've got to tell people about God. I've got to tell them about what he's done for me. I've got to sing with joy and say, why, why me? And so my question this morning I want us to ask and answer from the first four verses of your song is, why did Mary sing with wonder? When she had good reasons to grumble and complain, why did she sing with wonder? And through answering that question, hopefully we'll be able to come alongside Mary and sing with wonder, why me, us? Why did Mary sing with wonder? Reason number one to to see this morning from this passage is because Mary was steeped in the scriptures. Mary was steeped in the scriptures. Now, we, we might not get that from just reading through it one time, but as you go back through and look at this passage, it's incredibly full with scripture and theology. It's like an echo scriptures just bouncing off the walls. Or, or maybe think of like a movie where there's Easter eggs hidden all throughout the movie. This is a song that has Old Testament Easter eggs hidden all throughout it. Just take even the first two verses and some of the main words Mary uses. She uses the word magnify. Magnify. And it's the same word we find in the Greek Old Testament where David sings, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It's where he's talking about taste and see. It's the same psalm. Or in Psalm 40:16, when David says, great is the Lord. When you see that great is the Lord throughout the psalms, the word great there is the same word that Mary's using when he says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Or, or look at rejoices. She says, my spirit rejoices, God, my Savior. Uh, same word in the Greek Old Testament of Psalm 25. May we shout for joy. Shout for joy, or Psalm 34, or take God of my salvation in verse 27, or verse 47. Same word in Psalm 25, 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Those are just a couple examples from the first two verses. We get it far more, and that's just the first two verses. You could do this the whole way through Mary's song. You could also look at how it compares to the song that Hannah sung in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. There's some of the themes that show up in that. It's so rich in scripture and theology that some scholars question, did Mary write this? This is a 13-year-old girl. She, she couldn't have wrote this. This didn't come from her mouth. Someone else must have wrote it and, and then tagged Mary's name to it because of how rich it is in scripture. But, but I believe what Luke says when he says, this was from Mary, because I think Luke interviewed Mary when he was uh, writing his gospel. So how could this happen? How could a 13-year-old girl who's likely illiterate, has no formal, tr- formal training in the Bible, sing a song that's so rich in scripture? Probably because her parents taught her the scriptures growing up. And probably because she heard the stories. Maybe, maybe Hannah was one of her favorite stories. She heard that over and over. And maybe she heard Hannah's song over and over. And that was engraved on her mind. 
but also probably even a, a bigger reason of why she could sing a song like this is because she grew up singing the Psalms. That when she went to the synagogue on Sunday, she would have sung the Psalms. That maybe with her family at home, she sung the Psalms. It's interesting, if you look at what the words Mary's using and the cross-references, and then the book of Psalms lights up like a Christmas tree. That it's all these words that Mary is singing come from the Psalms. See, she, she had sung these songs. She was familiar with them. She was steeped in the scriptures. A couple of weeks ago, I went to a class that was teaching uh, how to brew coffee. Now, you might hear that and you'd be like, Kyle, that. You pour water in the coffee pot, you put grounds in the filter, and you press the button. I could have told you that. Well, it, it was a class on kind of like uh, manual home brewing in some ways that I was interested in, decided to take. Uh, and their whole thing was getting you to see the importance of having the right amount of water, the right temperature of water to soak in the coffee for the right amount of time so that when the coffee comes through, it no longer is just water, it bears properties and the flavor of coffee because it's soaked in it. Mary has soaked in the scriptures, and so she bears the flavor of them. And so in the biggest moment of her life, what comes bursting out is scripture. I mean, let's think about this for us a little bit. This is why the songs that we sing are massively important, because they form our theology. Two weeks from now, maybe one week from now, you won't remember very much, if anything at all, of what I said up here this morning. I know that because two weeks from now, I won't remember very much of what I said up here this morning. Ten years from now, you'll remember the songs we sing over the next couple weeks for Christmas, and likely a lot of the songs we sing throughout the year here at Keystone. It's why Andrew and Daniel put a lot of thought into what songs on a Sunday morning. Parents, this is why it's important to teach your children songs that are scriptural and theologically rich. That doesn't mean they have to be like complicated. A couple years ago at VBS, we sung a song uh, where the line I remember was, sin messed everything up. It got stuck in your head. It also got stuck in your kids' heads. And it's great theology. Why is the world broken? Because sin messed. That's what I love about VBS is we sing these songs that get stuck that are teaching good theology. It's also why I think it's really important for teenagers to be at times sitting in on the main service, hearing music and singing, because that's the songs that are going to shape and form them, even if in the moment it doesn't seem like it's getting through. I would guess most of you can remember songs you heard when you were younger, growing up, that have just stuck with you. It's why we keep singing the same Christmas over and over. It's why we keep going back to the same story at Christmas over and over, because we can never be oversteeped in scripture. Paul Tripp has a quote when he's, he's talking about his love for Christmas as a child. And he says this, but maybe I, the thing I love the most, sure, I liked hearing all those silly seasonal songs as we went shopping in downtown Toledo. But what I love then and love even more now are those rich hymns about the birth of Jesus. I learned them as a boy but I understand them today line by line in a way I never did during all the excitement of those boyhood Christmases. Mary learned the scriptures as a child. She sung them 
And then in the biggest moment, stood them in a way she never had before, and they came pouring out of her. That's the first reason I think she could sing, why me, when this happened to her. The second reason, because Mary was aware of God's undeserved favor. Look again in verse 48. Mary declares, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. That word looked in there is the idea of someone turning and looking with favor on someone else. It's the word that shows up in Psalms when people are crying out to God, turn to me and be gracious to me. Mary had been shown incredible favor by God. She was going to uh, carry and then raise the Messiah. This is the, the greatest honor that any Jewish girl of this time could have hoped for. And Mary, but Mary knew she didn't deserve to be chosen. Mary was a young girl from Nazareth. All things that should have kept her from being chosen. All things that would have kept her from being chosen by anyone else who was living at that time to bear such an honor. She knew she, there were lots of other options out there for God to choose. When I was a CA in high school, I was given the, the honor of the position as student council secretary. Now, if you've ever seen my handwriting before, you know that's not what got me the position. What got me the position, why the students looked with favor on me and gave me this position, was because I was the only one running for it. And so when they went to vote, the only box had my name into it. So it was either check it or don't vote. See, I, I learned very early on, if you want to win something, you just choose what no one else wants and you go for that and you're guaranteed to get it. Mary was not running for carrying Jesus, being the mother of this Messiah. And even if she was, she definitely wasn't running unopposed. There are far better options out there. She was the most un... And she knew it. She knew she, she was a nobody. And yet God had looked, with her, looked on her with favor. Nothing makes us say, why me, in amazement, like undeserved favor which is what we mean when we use the word grace at Keystone. God's undeserved favor to us. The gospel forever tells the story of God's undeserved favor, that he would give up with him his son for a bunch of nobodies like us. And to learn to see ourselves like Mary and to sing, why me at Christmas? We have to learn to see ourselves as a nobody, I don't deserve this. God had far better options and yet chose to give a son for me, for you. Because the more that we see ourselves as somebody special, the more, why not me? Rather than, why me? Why would God show favor on me like this? Tim Keller, in his book, Hidden Christmas, puts it this way. I love how he puts it. He says, I would go so far to say that this perennial note of surprise is a mark of anyone who understands the essence of the gospel. What is Christianity? If you think Christianity is mainly going to church, believe and living a certain kind of life, 
then there will be no note of wonder and surprise about the fact that you are a believer. If someone asks you, are you a Christian? You will say, of course I am. It's hard work, but I'm doing it. Why do you ask? Christianity is, in this view, something done by you. And so there's no astonishment about being a Christian. However, if Christianity is something done for you and to you and in you, constant note of surprise and wonder. Just as Mary sung with wonder because of what had been done to her and in her and for her, so should we who know far more about the child that she was actually going to carry. We, we tend to be people of entitlement. I'm saying that about myself. Where, where we think we deserve given, or at least we deserve the good things we do have. And the Christmas, the, the cultural message at Christmas just reinforces that entitlement. You think about it, right? Kids, be good because Santa Claus is coming to town, and if you're good, you'll get more gifts. Right? But it's not just kids. Maybe kids at, at Christmas think, I deserve good gifts, or I deserve more good gifts. Maybe someone who's single at Christmas thinks, I deserve someone to spend the holidays with. Christmas think, I deserve rest and relaxation. This better go right. Maybe grandparents think, I deserve good time with my family this year. And if anything gets in the way of those things, then I start to say, why me? Right, complaining. Why didn't I get that? We, we need to be like Mary because the gospel message reminds us at Christmas we've been shown, we've been given far more that God gave up his son, that Jesus gave up his place in heaven for nobodies like me and you. The gospel message undercuts the why me of entitlement and puts the why me of wonder on our lips when we realize the favor that we've been shown. That's the, the second reason I think Mary was able to sing with wonder that first Christmas. The third reason, the last reason this morning. She knew the character of God. She knew the God who was looking on, with favor on her. Look in verse 49. I love this part of it. Mary sings of God as the mighty one who has done great things for her and as the one whose name is holy. This is the, the God who is so holy that none can compare with him. The God that when Isaiah's throne, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. But Mary also says that he's the mighty one, the mighty one. That's a word that when it shows up in the Old Testament, uh, most often refers to a warrior or someone doing battle. It's the word that shows up when first, or Second Samuel is talking about David's mighty men the men who fought on his behalf. It's the word that shows up in Psalms 20. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. It's the word used in Zephaniah 3.17. Maybe you know the end of that verse, the idea that God sings over us. He rejoices over us. But sometimes we forget the, re the beginning of the verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. This is the God who fights on behalf of his people, who splits seas, who stops to deliver them. See, Mary had a big view of God. And so when God showed favor on her, she just simply sung, 
why me? I'm so blessed. If we're going to sing why me, we need to know the character of the one who is blessing us. I think of if this week I get a letter in the mail that says, congratulations, you've been chosen. A new credit card. I'm not going to step back and say, why me? I'm going to, no, I'm going to throw that in the trash. That's impersonal. Everyone's getting these, and it's just trying to get me to get something. But if I get a letter in the mail this week for some reason, and I'd open it up, and it would say, congratulations, you've been chosen to sit front row at the next Eagles game and then meet Carson Wentz. You better believe I'm going to be like, why me? How they figure this out? How, how did I get this? Why should I get this? Christmas is far better than a signed and sealed letter from Carson Wentz. It's the reminder that the Holy God fights on our behalf. I think sometimes the reason Christmas doesn't cause us as much wonder and awe because we spend time focusing simply on the meek and mild portion of Jesus. And we forget the child who lays on Mary's lap is the majestic, holy warrior who fights for his people. Christmas is not just a sweet story. Christmas is God's greatest battle cry on behalf of his people. And when we get that, the character of the one who came, all of a sudden it makes us start to sing, why me, in a far different way. This hit home for me a little bit differently last year when I uh, held Oliver, who was uh, less than a month old at that time, in my arms. It was like, honestly, it was kind of the first time I ever held a child in my arms for an extended amount of time because I was scared of children before that and I didn't know how to hold them, like this. And the parents are staring at me like, you better not drop my child, thinking you shouldn't have given me your child. I don't know what to do. And so for the first time, I'm holding a young child and looking at him and see how helpless and needy and dependent he is. And he needs Bree and I to even keep him alive. And then I think the God who shook Mount Sinai with fire and thunder. The, the one who, you can't see my face because no one can see my face and live. The one who Ezekiel sat dumbfounded for seven days silent after seeing his glory. The one who the angels, the highest angels in heaven, sing constantly, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. That that's the God who came as a helpless, needy, dependent child at Christmas to fight for me and for my salvation and to fight for you and for your salvation. Ultimate reminder that God has and will continue to fight on our behalf. I I think sometimes we lose our wonder uh, the longer that we've been exposed to something. So many of us, we've been exposed to Christmas for a while. I think of uh, many of you, if you're over the age of 25, maybe that's too young, but if you're over the age of at least 30, sadly I'm in that cat, not sadly, that's not bad, I'm in that cat. You remember the days of dial-up internet. You remember the sound 
that came on when you had to connect to the internet. And you remember sitting there waiting for that 30 seconds, a minute or longer, just to be able to get on to the internet. You, you remember only being able to be on the internet for a certain amount of time because you were using your landline to connect. Someone might have been trying to call you, and so you got to get off in case someone's trying to get through to you. You remember 10, 20, 30 seconds to load. You, you remember that listening to a song online was, was like a long process. You got to wait for that song to load. It might have to buffer. That might take forever. And if in that moment you got a taste of high-speed Wi-Fi, you and I would have been like, what is this? Who created this magic? This is incredible. But we to it for so long now, instead of being amazed and wonder, we tend to, if an internet or if a website takes longer than two seconds to load, start to grumble. What's going on? I'm going to call Comcast. Because we've been exposed to it, and so we start to lose our wonder sometimes. So what can we do at Christmas to rekindle again this spirit of wonder that helps us to sing, why me? Why give up his son for me? I have just three ideas to wrap up this morning. None of these are probably going to be that new to you, if at all. Number one, make time to slow down and reflect. Christmas tends to speed things up. We all know this. And so you have to fight back if you're going to slow down. Take time and work through an Advent devotional. Paul Tripp has one. John Piper has one. Uh, read through Tim Keller's Hidden Christmas. Tools to help us get back into the scriptures in a fresh way and ask again, why me? Why did this happen? This is incredible. If you got that guide to work through with your kids, or if you're going to take it today, say, take advantage of that. You're going to have to make time for that. Take advantage of that. Because the tendency is to get to December 25th and be like, oh my goodness, we forgot all about this. We'll just do it today. We'll take time early on. Work through it. That's an incredibly beneficial thing. The second thing, part at all, spend time listening to and singing good songs this Christmas. Christmas songs that we sing, many of them are incredibly rich with scripture and theology. Listen to a song and just spend time thinking about the words that are in there. Even if it's a song you've heard a thousand times already. When we sing songs here, soak in the words, soak in what it's saying. And hopefully God uses that to rekindle some sense. And then thirdly, finally, reflect on the God of the Christmas story or reflect on God's character. This Christmas would be another way to put that. Remember who he is. Remember the child who lay asleeping on Mary's lap is the great I am. Remember that sweet little boy that laid asleep in a manger in Bethlehem is the majestic, holy one who forever fights on behalf of you and I. Let's pray. God, you are the one who holds seas in the palm of your hands. You measured the heavens with a span. You, you gather the dust together. You weigh the mountains and the hills in scales. God, who is like you? God, remind us of that this Christmas. Remind us 
of how great you are as we go back to the scriptures. Remind us of how undeserving we are of what you've given us at Christmas, and remind us that you are holy and awesome and there's none like you. And I pray that that would lead us to worship, to with a sense of wonder and amazement, say again, afresh, or for the first time. Why? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.